Just so you're aware, today's podcast is a bit of a lengthier one. So you can actually minimize this window if you're on Facebook. You can minimize it and continue scrolling. You can actually minimize it and close out your Facebook and still be able to listen. Or you can go to the audio version, plug in your headphones while you're cutting the grass or while you're folding your laundry, washing the dishes, whatever you You can do. listen at speed and a half and be able to get through it in the time it takes I am, to do what needs I to be done. I am much more enjoyable at speed and a half, and my wife encourages that. But this is one of those, it's a little lengthier today, but I think you'll understand why by the time we get to the end. Welcome in to what is the final edition of the Palmetto Family Matters podcast for this legislative session. You're not going to get off the hook that easily. I'm Justin <laughs> Hall. He is Dave Wilson. Three days remaining in the session. And if you keep up with us on social media, you know that there are two major issues coming up in these final three days, Dave. And if you haven't had the chance to, just go ahead and stop the podcast really quick. But let me tell you to text STAND to 76076 to get more information on what we're about to talk about. Because, Dave, with three days left, you've got two major issues. You've got the MEDS Act, which is going to be heard in the Senate. Uh, given special order, but then uh, if you've been keeping up with uh, the state house, medical marijuana was shut down in the house. They 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 killed that thing on a on a procedural matter, and there's a rift now in the general assembly. There is a huge rift that exists right now between the house and the senate. I mean, you're talking warring cousins right now. Uh, unlike anything, I think we've probably seen in the last two decades. There is a a distinctive fight that is happening between those two bodies right now. And it's interesting that the medical marijuana debate is just solidifying this more and more. We've had that. And of the other item that we actually have discussed on this podcast, which is the election integrity legislation, which would create standardization county by county by county in South Carolina about the way that we do elections. That also caused a rift between the House and the Senate as to whose rules are going to matter more. The beauty of what I think we have seen when it comes to medical marijuana was a point that we brought up months ago. And that was a simple fact that the medical marijuana legislation, while it was pared down in the Senate, actually went a step too far in the way that it was written because it actually generates tax revenue. Correct. The generation of tax revenue, according to the South Carolina Constitution, any bill that generates revenue has to originate in the House of Representatives. Well, we, we number and label bills in South Carolina based upon which chamber they begin in. So if it's a House bill, it's H and then the number. If it's a Senate bill, it's S. And so we've been talking about S-150. Since January the 25th, 2022, that podcast, which is our highest listened to podcast, January 25th, 2022, that point was raised in this very room about this being a revenue-generating bill and that the constitutionality would eventually be challenged. And so what happened was the constitutionality of S-150 being a tax-generating bill was brought up by the House of Representatives. And the Speaker of the House, actually it was the Speaker Pro Tem because he was presiding over the House when that took place, Tommy Pope, took a long break. Hours of kind of review of here's here's our cases, here's the things. And he basically said, it's, it's out of order. You cannot have a revenue-generating bill in the state of South Carolina to, to reach constitutional muster, to be able to pass the litmus test of is this constitutional or not, uh, and it, it didn't pass. Right. And so the House 
through some procedural votes, basically said, you can't do this this way. And in doing so, it's taken medical marijuana and, and shelved it. The interesting thing that we have is with three legislative days left, the medical marijuana advocates are trying everything they can to find what piece of legislation can we take a 60-page bill and attach it to to be able to try to run this through again. Does it, ever, does it feel like sometimes when you hear things like this that Columbia, South Carolina begins to feel a bit swampy? You ever think that a 60-page bill that can be tacked on as an amendment, again, that's going to be tough to do in three days. That's really going to be. It can be really a difficult task to do. However, they feel the pressure because it's the end of a two-year legislative session. Anything that doesn't get passed now, it's got to start all the way back over. So it takes us to this phrase called sine die. Sine die basically means the end. Uh, we are at the end of the legislative session. It's a two-year session. Thursday at 5 o'clock, the session ends. They're going to drop the hankies. They, they drop handkerchiefs between the two chambers so they can see it. And we reach 5 o'clock, and that's it. They're done. And, and in doing so, it basically, anything that's not been passed is like flushed out the toilet, and they have to start all over again. And, and that is a place where advocates for medical marijuana are turning around and saying, well, we can try to attach this to bills that are what's called germane. So here's your civics lesson of the day. Bills that are germane means they follow the same general topic. There are two bills which they are trying right now to talk about attaching medical marijuana to. One is the Medical Ethics and Diversity Act, or the MED Act, which says this, that it is you have rights of conscience as medical professionals, doctors, nurses, um, or counseling professionals, as in Christian counselors, to be able to have a right of conscience to be able to say, hey, listen, I, this goes against my conscience. I'm not going to be able to perform this, or I'm going to perform this, this procedure or this therapy in this way because it is in alignment with my rights of conscience. That is a place that they're going to try to attach medical marijuana to. That bill right now is set for special order, which means the Senate has to take it up and has to have a vote on that. That's going to be taken up on Tuesday. The other one is a pharmaceutical bill or a pharmacy bill that came over from the House and has now gone over to the Senate, and that could be attached to that as well. So they're looking for ways to, to do this. The question is procedurally, Justin, can yeah. they actually pull this off? Can they pull it off? And then on top of that in the Senate, that's actually going to come first, I believe. Is that correct, that one of those bills is going to come before the MED Act? Right. So any bill that comes, there's a particular order in which things are done in the Senate. So the calendar of the Senate basically says, we're gonna take up these issues, this issue that anything that comes back from one house to the other for, for, for reconsideration or for a vote of concurrence, which basically says, hey, listen, yeah, we agree with you or we don't agree with you, so we're gonna do what needs to be done. Those are taken up before things that are set for special order. Special order basically says, I don't care what objections there are to the bill to try to stop it, we're still gonna have a debate on it. So the question is whether or not they're going to try to attach medical marijuana to the Meds Act or to the pharmacy bill. And right now, the pharmacy bill coming back over from the House has a greater likelihood because of the order in which it is in the calendar. So all of that is really, really, really deep inside baseball in South Carolina politics. Just understand this. They're going to try everything they can to attach medical marijuana to any bill that they possibly can. And, and the issue, Justin, is this. It is not the fact that there aren't 
possible medicinal uses for marijuana. It is the establishment of the the systems in which you could then, over time, a, a future legislature can turn around and bring, a, bring about legalized recreational marijuana. And that's actually, in fact, you, you mentioned recreational. There's a candidate running for governor, and honestly, it, by all intents and purposes, that's likely to be the nominee, uh, wants to push for recreational use of marijuana in South Carolina. By the way, just as a disclaimer, we have reached out to Joe Cunningham's office to uh, request an interview with him as part of our candidate conversation series, and we have not heard back. Well, as a matter of fact, Justin, in 1980, the state of South Carolina actually had a law that was put into place called the Clinical Trial of Controlled Substances Act. So for the last 42 years, we have had an ability for people to have a medicinal use of marijuana as long as it's part of a clinical trial. Those clinical trials have been going on. I know the University of South Carolina has been doing those for the last two decades. Prakash Nagarkati, who is the head of research for the university, has been conducting these types of trials. The ability for you to be able to have that is also, ironically, according to state law right now, absolutely free. And so why in the world do we want to turn around and put into something that's going to be a revenue-generating bill when we have a program in place already now in the state of South Carolina that outlines many of the very same treatment options that need to be done or for, for different solutions that need to be done for medical issues, they're already outlined in state law to create another law on top of that. Are there places of improvement? Yes. Is this bill the best way to do so? In all honesty, no, I don't think so. I think that there are places, if you want to talk about medicinal uses of marijuana, there are places and ways that you can do that that keep it streamlined and make it so that it can actually increase the viability of the program by by using our teaching research universities. Do the study of the agriculture of marijuana at Clemson and SC State, where they can find out where's the best marijuana grown for medicinal uses. There may be different in Oconee County than they are in Horry County. And so there's also a place where our teaching research hospital universities, our medical schools, can also use this, where you've got the USC Medical School and you've got MUSC and you've got groups across the state who can actually do clinical trials and find out what is the best medicinal uses, and in so doing, actually increase the viability of these programs and these as as medical uses across America. So why are we wanting to turn around and do this in a, hey, listen, let's just create a a mechanism for people to be able to to build a pharmaceutical setup Mm -hmm. that could be flipped over into recreational marijuana. But if you don't understand what's in the code of laws, take the time to read them. We'll give you a link to section 4453, 610 through 660, which spells out the medical use of marijuana in the state of South Carolina. We were the third state in America to put this program into place. So I don't think many people even are aware of that, Justin. Right. They probably aren't. I know I wasn't until we started doing the digging. Now, that's just one issue. That's just one issue that's coming up this week. That's just one. The Med Act is coming to the floor of the Senate. Now, if again, I'm going to toot our own horn here just for a second. Just as on January 25th, we said there are parts of this bill that appear to be unconstitutional and could see a challenge on its constitutionality. In June of 2021, 
Dave Wilson, if you remember, had a video talking about the city of Columbia's ban on Christian counseling when it comes to gender-affirming care, which we have now since talked about. It's now being pushed by the White House. It's not at all gender-affirming. In fact, it's pretty volatile and, and, and co- completely wrong. Uh, the Biden administration has put forward measures to roll back Trump-era protections for Christian counselors and doctors that allow these folks to not perform procedures or not provide counseling that goes against their moral or ethical beliefs. Uh, the MED Act, which started in the House and now heading to the Senate, would look to protect these folks in South Carolina from this government overreach. This is a place where your rights of conscience, your religious freedoms are under attack if you are a medical professional, if you are in the counseling arena. And here's the thing. If it can start there, guess what? They can take it to other areas as well. And so when you have a country that has been built upon the whole concept of religious freedom and you're taking away people's religious freedom to be able to practice what they believe, then that is a real issue that comes up. And so the MEDS Act will actually allow for us to protect medical and counseling professionals from this type of overreach that we're seeing right now with the Biden administration. And this is a place of, again, if, if the Constitution doesn't matter, then, then there's no issue. But the reality is we live in a constitutional republic, and in that, the Constitution has to be the document we go back to. It's what we talked about with medical marijuana. The Constitution of South Carolina says if it generates revenue, the bill has to start in the House. If you go back to the First Amendment to the Constitution, the very first part of the First Amendment of the Constitution is the ability for you to to have your religious freedom protected. And that right there, Justin, is case in point as to why in the world we have to ensure that these are guaranteed in South Carolina because they're under threat right now. Correct, they are. So that, as we shift gears, that's just our first part today. Let's move ahead to what we've seen happen over the course of this legislative session. Again, if you've followed with us for any length of time, you know we've had several legislative priorities. I will say this. Most groups have one or two. We outlined eight or nine. So these are the things that need to get done in South Carolina if we're going to protect biblical values in our state. We put that out in the Palmetto Family Matters pod, or Palmetto Family Matters magazine. And if you have not gotten that, I encourage you to still get it because it's still very valuable information in there. It kind of gives you a wrap-up of what's happened in the legislature. Now, there are a couple of victories here, a couple of things we want to highlight as I flip the paper, m- reminiscent of one. <laughs> well, I, I will say this. I, I will say this. You know, when, when we put this magazine out, I really had no idea how far the question on CRT was going to go. It's still going. It's still going, which we'll talk about in a moment. But the other part of it is this this is the inside spread, and it's the 2022 legislative session. Things that you needed to be aware of. These are the things that as we were crisscrossing the state and we were talking with groups across the state, these were the things that people kept coming up to us and saying, you know, where do we, where are we on these issues? So we outlined eight issues on the inside spread of the magazine. If you need a copy of this, then I'd like you to email us at email at palmettofamily.org we'll, and send us your address. We'll make sure you get one sent in the mail to you so that you have that. But it outlines eight major priorities. We added to that the tax cuts that take yep. place, 
And it really helps you to understand what the issues are, why they matter, what the Bible says about them, and what you can do about it, because that's really a major focus of what we're doing. But right. legislatively, there have been a lot of wins this year. And the process takes time as well. So I want to make sure that, that you guys understand, as, as I try to hope that everyone does, that the process takes time. And you can't go into the chambers like a bull in a china shop and expect to get things done. There's some nuances here, which makes four wins extremely impressive. Yeah. All right. Religion is essential. Governor's going to have a signing here very soon. Right. Protecting churches, synagogues, and mosques, all of them. Right. Uh, during times of states of emergency, a future governor cannot come in and say, well, no, your church can't meet because it's unsafe to do so. Churches are on the same level as police, fire, EMS, hospitals, all the same. Saving women's sports. Hello. How big of a win was that? It passed through the Senate, like trailblazing through the Senate. It moved quickly. And now that's going to be signed into law by the governor as well. Right. We saw critical race theory be addressed in the budget last year. As a, as, a, as a budget proviso to where you can't teach it in South Carolina schools, and that's going to continue to move forward. And that had a very, very lengthy debate it's in the good. South Carolina House, as a matter of fact. That, and and it really boils down to you whether you want to call it critical race theory or the, the basic issues of the lens in which things are being taught. People will say, well, critical race theory is not being taught in the schools of South Carolina. We're going to talk about this in just a few minutes. They mm -hmm. are being taught through a lens mm -hmm. of a viewpoint towards critical race theory that really can impact the way students are learning. Uh, you mentioned the tax cuts. What is it going to do for South Carolina? How does this budget better reflect conservative, fiscally conservative values for South Carolinians? And where, you know, are you going to be getting some money back from a billion dollar surplus? Well, Again, the House and the Senator having a lot They're of fun on with each one. other. Well, you know, one of the things that they talked about in here is a billion-dollar tax rebate. Yes. Well, about seven hundred fifty per person. Right. So the average family—that's like a tank of gas per month. Yeah. A and times and based upon what the—it it was interesting because gas prices had were peaking right at four bucks, and then they dipped back down. Driving in. This morning, three ninety nine at every major gas station that I passed, and four oh seven at the one on the corner of Assembly and Hugh G. So just for what it's worth, and but it's always right. expensive there. But that's, that's another true. story for another day. That's true, but it's now <laughs> yeah. again the the release from the emergency reserves kind of tapped us a little bit and made me actually go, "Wow, gas is three fifty eight. That's awesome!" <laughs> and then I remember what it was like two years ago. Uh, so yes, saving women's sports, religion being essential, uh, budget issues, critical race theory. And then pro-life legislation. The heartbeat bill was a phenomenal just walk straight through. In six weeks, we passed a heartbeat bill that said, in the state of South Carolina, it's the responsibility of this state, if you have a heartbeat, for us to protect your life. That seems very simple. Most heartbeats can be detected within five and a half to six weeks, depending upon what type of ultrasound that you actually perform. And in that case... That is going to end up saving more than 98% of all children who have been aborted in South Carolina. It's going to save their lives. Folks, that's a huge issue. And it has been something that when the Dobbs, the leak of the Dobbs case decision from Judge Alito came out last week on Politico, it rocked the world of, of those who are in the abortion and pro-life worlds. Because it actually looks like we have a Supreme Court that said, 
it's not the responsibility of the Supreme Court to basically write legislation, and Roe versus Wade reads more like legislation than it does a judicial decision, and puts it right back where the Constitution of the United States makes it abundantly clear in the Tenth Amendment, if it is not spelled out in the Constitution of the United States of America, the responsibility then goes to the state or to the people. And that is a distinctive part of our Constitution that says if the decisions about abortion are not outlined within our Constitution, and they're not, then it's the responsibility of the states to do this. And, and Justin, I really think, I was speaking with a, a pastor this weekend, and it looks like this is becoming the div new dividing line between states, those that are pro-life and those that are pro-choice. California and South Carolina, opposite Can, ends of the country. Could not be more different. Could not be more different in our approach to what we're doing when it comes to pro-life issues. I think you're going to see if this decision becomes the decision. And again, uh, the Supreme Court justices are um, dealing with some issues now because of this draft leak. It did what it was supposed to the leak of the draft did what it was intended to do, I believe, and that is drum up pressure on the conservative justices who had signed on to the draft. Uh, reports coming out last night that Justice Alito has been moved to a more secure location with his family due to threats. And again, prayers for all of our Supreme Court justices who are dealing with such a monumental decision as this. We need to be praying for them, not pressuring them and doing whatever we want them to do. And again, federalism works, so send it back to the states and let the states decide. That's what democracy is. Right. It's not going to end democracy. It's actually going to be democracy. Well, and it's interesting because there are people who are making that argument that that this decision is going to end democracy. And, and reality is it actually puts it back into it. a democratic process, mm -hmm. in which case your state representatives and senators are going to be responsible for what goes on in your state. Ooh, if, 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 if the concept of individual states' rights is not spelled out more clearly in the Constitution, I really don't know what is because yep. this is a place where the political boundaries of states matter. And if you want to live in a place, we, we, we call this federalism, but the whole concept of federalism is this. It is not uniformity in all 50 states. That's not what federalism is. We think about it because we think the federal government, right. and federal means the big government. So we're, people look at federalism and they go, oh, it's a big government thing. No. It's just the opposite. Federalism says this. We are united as a country, as one country, but with individual states and those individual states being the incubators of ideas and how things should operate. So that there's a difference between South Carolina and California. There's a difference between South Carolina and North Carolina. Yeah, there is. And, and that is a place that we have yeah, to recognize the strength of our Constitution. I mean, the God-inspired way that the founders of our country laid things out to provide protections from an overreach of government into your life is an amazing thing. Yeah, I would I would love to see a day where the federal government returns to just, you know, providing for the common defense and building roads and bridges and the states handled a lot more of the issues. Right. On this leaked draft, I want to get to something and I appreciate our friend at WIS, Mary Green, uh, who put this together. The the governor responded to this and and this Dave, I want to ask you about this. Because he said, obviously, South Carolina, we have the fetal heartbeat bill that is being enjoined in the court right now. 
and should Roe v. Wade be overturned or parts of it, however it works, that probably going to end up being the law of the land here in South Carolina. The governor came out just a couple of days ago and said that he would, it would not be out of the question for him, quote, if it's necessary, I will call them, them being the General Assembly, back into session to address the issue, possibly passing more restrictive laws, restrictive to abortion, more pro-life legislation, right. as, as how I'm going to word it, uh, compared to how it was written. Where do you see that, Dave? That's obviously prognostication, but could we see a moment where the General Assembly gets called back to possibly go a step further than even the fetal heartbeat bill because there is legislation trying to make its way through the committee process right now? There is, and, and there is a real possibility. The governor does have, again, constitutionally, the governor has an ability to call the legislature back on a particular issue. It would be a very lengthy and a very heated debate. It would be. And it would make some significant, significant impacts on things like the 2022 gubernatorial election. Yes, it would. And I believe you're going, as we said a moment ago, and, and the I'm going to give credit to uh to a pastor that I spoke with this weekend, you know, this is a, a polarizing dividing line between ideologies when it comes to the issue of life. I'm going to address an issue very quickly. We are a very pro-life organization at Palmetto Family, and I want to make this part abundantly clear because we've had state senators who on the floor of the Senate called us out for being pro-birth and not pro-life. And that's just simply not the case. In South Carolina, Palmetto Family stands for all the life issues from the moment of birth to the moment of natural death and everything in between because it's about the life that you have to live in this state, the ability for you to have the religious freedom that you have, to have the economic freedoms that you have, for you to be able to know that your children are receiving an education that is going to teach and prepare them for the world that they're going to be inheriting. When it comes to the issues of how do we care for our elderly, how do we care for those in need, for women and children, for the orphans and the widows. We're on the task force right now that we're leading for Governor McMaster on the issues of permanency in families. That's dealing with issues like adoption and foster care about the ability for people to have paid leave to be able to go and care for their children in those early, early weeks of life and know that they can still pay their bills. Those are places where when we talk about Roe versus Wade being overturned, I'm challenging you at home as you're listening to this in the car or you're folding the laundry or whatever you're doing. This is a place where the church has to step up and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And, and minister and reach out and meet the needs of those in your local community who are going to need your help when Roe versus Wade is overturned, when the fetal heartbeat bill goes into effect. There's still going to be thousands of children born in South Carolina. There are going to be mothers and fathers and families who have needs. And this is a place where it's time for us to stand up as pro-life and support the lives of people who are going to have to have the support that they need in raising their children to lead in the next generation. That's why we're here at, at Palmetto Family. That's what, for us, it means to be pro-life. I was looking for this real quick. Before we shift to our final point of the day, Wisconsin Family Action 
uh, had a Molotov cocktail thrown into their building, and it was spray-painted either. If abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either, is what the uh, spray-painting said. Um, Caroline Riley, a, uh, a reporter who frequently writes about abortion, uh, quoted the New York Times tweet. The New York Times tweeted the headquarters of an anti-abortion group, I love that, in Madison, Wisconsin, was set on fire Sunday morning in an act of vandalism that, anti- that included the attempt, uh, attempted use of a Molotov cocktail. This reporter quoted the tweet and said, more of this. May these people never know a moment of peace or safety until they rot in the ground. She has since deleted the tweet and her account has been deactivated. That was the reporter. That was the reporter. It's very interesting because I, Palmetto Family is one of 41 policy organizations, just family policy organizations across the state. We are, uh, many of us are connected that, and stay to stay up to date with each other. Mm-hmm. Our colleague, Julaine Appling, is, uh, is the head of the program or the, the policy organization in Wisconsin. Um, she said, you know, it's, uh, apparently they're not very good at their Molotov cocktails because it, it could have burned the building to the ground, and it didn't. Uh, she literally just sent out a, a text to all of us that says, our current security is a piece of plywood over two broken windows. That's what they have for security there. The, the real security that we have is in Jesus Christ. Um, that, is a, that is totally understood. Uh, but at the same time, we're going to ask for prayers for Julaine and her team there in Wisconsin because they are under threat. And this is a place of a true dividing line in a, a civil split in America. Yep. And we cannot allow anarchists to turn around and take advantage of yet one more thing to be able to divide our country even more so. Yep. Now, it feels so much like the rumblings of where we were a couple summers ago with George Floyd. Yeah. And that this this decision coming from the Supreme Court has that same type of rocking ability to some stability in America. And this is where constitutionality matters. This is where law and order matters. And that's one of the things that we're pushing for in South Carolina more and more so. One final note as we close out our early week edition of the podcast. Again, we're going to have a late week edition where we – we have our own signy die celebration. I'll bring the handkerchiefs <laughs> if you do. Um, South Carolina awarded their latest Teacher of the Year award. And again, I want to preface this by saying to all of our teachers in the state, thank you for what you do each and every day to educate our young people. What you do is invaluable, and you are you are loved and you are supported by even more than just my tax dollars, right? So, the educator, this is from the Daily Caller, the educator who won South Carolina's 2023 Teacher of the Year Award publicly acknowledged that he taught through an anti-racist lens according to, not another article, but according to his Twitter account. The South Carolina Department of Education tapped high school English teacher Dion Jameson to be the state's Teacher of the Year. I was actually watching the session last week when he was recognized in the balcony of the House Chamber. He teaches at a charter school, Legacy Early College, in Greenville. By the way, the Teacher of the Year gets $25,000 and a brand new BMW, which, hey, right? Um, Made in South Carolina. Made in South Carolina, of course. Here's the tweet from July 4, 2020. Uh, He was reading, I'm assuming he was reading Ibram X. Kennedy's book. Uh, It was. He was reading Ibram X. Kennedy's book, Stamped. 
Uh, couldn't sleep last night because I was so anxious to wake up and finish reading, LOL. I swear this is the quickest I've ever read a book. He said it is so dang good. So now I'm raising funds to get the book in the hands of my scholars next month, hopefully. My plan is to use the book as the foundation for my class as we explore other pieces of literature through an anti-racist lens. As advocates for education, he wrote on January 10th, 2022. January 10th, 2022, a couple months ago. As advocates for education, we need to ask ourselves and policymakers what systems and ideologies are we trying to uphold with restrictions to curricula and materials. He also posted a picture of his ninth grade classroom that showcased the words lack of equity on the whiteboard. I have astigmatism in my eyes. I, I wear my glasses so that I can actually see, because if, if I don't wear them, I, I see kind of double. I see a drop shadow behind just about everything that I look at. And when I put my glasses on, the lens enables me to see things more clearly. If I put on my wife's glasses, they are not for my eyes, they're for hers. And the view of the world through a different lens can give you a very different viewpoint. And when we're talking about what goes on with children in the state of South Carolina and how we're teaching them, the lens of critical race theory, again, critical race theory is not outlined in the curricula of South Carolina schools, but it is used as a lens. As you just heard from the teacher of the year in South Carolina, it is the lens through which things are being taught. We are unashamedly in South Carolina here at Palmetto Family, approaching things from a biblical worldview lens. That everything is equal at the foot of the cross because of what Jesus Christ did for his substitutionary death, burial, his resurrection, to take on our sins upon himself for the propitiation, for the payment of our sins. And that is the worldview through which we view everything that we do. That is our lens. When your lens is something different, that of I'm going to look at everything from a standpoint of race, or I'm going to look at everything from a standpoint of money, or I'm going to look at the through a, stand, a viewpoint of name the topic. Yep. You are going to bring with you a certain level of bias. I am not going to apologize for coming from a biblical worldview approach in what we do here at Palmetto Family. I think when we have somebody who wants to turn around and educate from a lens of racial equality, racial equity, or, or as he phrased it, an anti-racist lens. lens, there has to be a whole lot of definition that's wrapped around the, the term anti-racist lens, especially when you look at it from the book that he's actually referencing, Justin. Yep, it, and, and this, is, this is unfortunate. We're going to see where this goes because there are multiple senators and representatives in our state who are now speaking out about this. Perhaps they didn't know a bit more about what was being taught in this specific classroom before the award was given, 
Don't know if there's any deeper agenda to why the award was given to this person. Again, we're not sure, but it's worth noting what's happening in the classroom of the Teacher of the Year in South Carolina. By the way, this teacher then represents the state educate around the country and around the state. So again, the proliferation of these ideas right. uh, could could have a great impact. Lengthy early week edition of the podcast for you, but we hope you enjoyed it again. Final week of the legislative session. Two major pieces to watch for, among others, the Med Act, and then where does medical marijuana try to get squeezed in on the Senate side as an amendment to a bill that is germane to medical marijuana. Again, good luck, but we'll see how that works out. And we will join you here at the end of the session, which ends on May the 12th. That's this Thursday at 5 p.m. If you want to get involved more, text STAND, S-T-A-N-D, to 76076. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast on the audio version. Share this with your friends and family on Facebook. Make sure they know what's going on in South Carolina and across the country. For Dave Wilson and Mitch Prosser, who's actually in Varnville, South Carolina today, I am Justin Hall. We will see you later this week on the Palmetto Family Matters Podcast.